or forgotten who I am. Um, I'm uh, Don. <laughs> it's unusual for me to be gone for two weeks in a row, um, especially in this time. But um, So a couple weeks ago, the uh, elders and the uh, leadership of the church gave Nancy and I uh, a night away as a part of the Pastor Appreciation Month. So Nancy and I got to go down to Dana Point and... Uh, that's a kind of a special place for us. It's where we got engaged uh, 20, almost 26 years ago, and it's where we spent some of our honeymoon. So that was a really special night. So I'm really grateful for the church. The, um, the leaders and elders have just been so uh, generous and kind to us over the years, and so I'm really grateful for that time away. So thank you. And then last weekend, uh, Nancy and I flew up to Portland and go visit Matthew, who's going to school um, just outside Portland. Sarah came down from Seattle, and we had a really great time with the four of us. And um, I got to watch my son play in a college basketball game for three minutes, and, um, <laughs> but it was well worth it. It was well worth it. So, but thank you. It was great to, it's, but it's great to be back. And, and today is the first Sunday of Advent. It's a, a really wonderful season in the church where um, uh, what, it, what it means, Advent actually is a, a Greek term that means the coming. It's a time of preparation. Uh, the church has used it over the years to uh, help us to prepare for Christmas, the birth of Jesus, remembering the birth of Jesus. But it also, Advent also is a season where we look forward to the realization and the truth that Jesus will return one day. So for us, in this time, it is a time of looking back and remembering the birth of Jesus, but it also is a time to look ahead. And our uh, theme for Advent is, uh, let every heart prepare him room. Let every heart prepare him room. I don't know about you, but um, I know that the, the Christmas season can get very busy and hectic at times. And I know part of what my hope for myself and for us as a church is that we wouldn't just fall into that, but that we would, in the midst of busyness, in the midst of all that we maybe add on, that we would, we would find time to just sit and make sure that our heart's in the right place. Make sure that there is some room for Jesus when we celebrate his birth. That we would let every heart would truly would prepare him room. That we would reflect on the fact that Jesus was born as a baby 2,000 years ago and that also be reminded that one day he will return. So to do that, on, I hopefully hope on Sundays, what we're going to do is we're going to, in some ways, continue what we've been doing for the last eight weeks or so, uh, study the Old Testament, and we're going to look at some of the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus and see how they were met by him and, and what they mean for us today. And so the, uh, one of the first prophecies we're going to look at, it comes from Isaiah 9. Um, it was mentioned in the lighting of the uh, Advent candle. And it's this from Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, again, just a reminder, Isaiah was around 700 B.C. is when he was a prophet. And here's what he speaks to the people of Israel. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the lands of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, 
The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So Isaiah is a prophet to the northern kingdom, which is called Israel. And they will be defeated by Assyria and taken into exile. And this land that he speaks of, of Zebulun and of Naphtali, is the most northern part of the Israel. It is the part that is first invaded when the Assyrians come. It's the part that is um, taken over most quickly. It's the part that is constantly in warfare of those nations that are around there. And it's the place where uh, Jews and Gentiles will be mixed. And they will become kind of half-breeds as the way the Israelites will look at these people that live in this area. It's, It's why, you might remember when Jesus... Um, meets uh, Philip, and then Philip finds Nathaniel, and, and Philip says, hey, we found the Messiah, and he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel goes, Nazareth? How can anything good come from Nazareth? This is why the people thought that way, is that in this northern part, it was kind of a mix, and, and people thought nothing good could, from, could come from there. And so um, Isaiah is prophesying to a group of people who are, are in exile, Right? And they are in darkness, the darkness of defeat and the darkness of devastation and ridicule. And and Isaiah says, light is coming. Light is coming to you who are in exile, those of you who are in darkness. And in some ways, light will come around 200 years later when um, Cyrus becomes the king of that area of of the Syrians, and he allows the people to go back to their land. And so in some ways, there's a thought that this is what the light was. And for a while, it is. But it will not compare to what was happened before and the way the nations were with David and Solomon. This time will be short-lived, and other nations will come in to take over Israel. But what Isaiah is prophesying about is that 700 years later, a baby will be born. The prophets speak to their people of their own day. The prophets speak to the people of days in that come. And the prophet speaks to us today. The question for us to ask is, uh, in what ways am I in darkness? In what ways do I feel like I'm living in the land of the dead what ways do I miss the light of Christ? Matthew, as he will record kind of the biography of Jesus, goes back to this prophecy of, of um, Isaiah when he see, talks about Jesus. And in Matthew 4, it says this. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, which is by the lake in the area of Zebulun, Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah in the land of Zebulun and in the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. You see, when Matthew begins to write down the biography of Jesus, he's Thinking, now why would Jesus come from Nazareth? Nazareth. We know that that's not an area that you would typically think the Messiah would come from. 
And when Jesus goes there and begins his ministry, he goes back to this prophecy in Isaiah. He says, this is why Jesus comes from Nazareth. It's to fulfill this prophecy of what is happening. And Matthew sees that Jesus is the light of the world. He looks back, he sees what Jesus is doing, and he says, this is the light. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the light of the world. And John the Baptist believed it. Other writers of the New Testament believed that this was the light, and Jesus knew he was the light. In John 8, it's recorded that he says this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You won't walk in darkness if you follow after Jesus. In fact, it's pretty, it says we'll never walk in darkness. Sometimes as followers of Jesus, we think, well, no, 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 I, I know I, I've, I've been following Jesus, but I get caught and I, I find myself in darkness. The reason you find yourself in darkness is because you stopped following after Jesus. You started to go your own way and found yourself in darkness. But Jesus says, no, if you follow after me, you will never walk in darkness because he is the light of the world. So thinking about this, this uh, concept of light, I just want us to think about how, how does this affect us today? What does it mean for Jesus to be the light of the world in my own life today? And there's, there's kind of four things, and they're all in your sermon notes if you follow, want to follow along, which is on the back of the bulletin. And here, here's the things about light. First thing is this. To those who are lost, light gives direction, Right? Just in our everyday life, if, if you are lost and you don't, you're caught in darkness, you, don't, you need to have light. That's the whole idea behind lighthouses. It's as people who are travelers, they follow the stars. It's, it's, you need to know, you need to have light to know where you are going. And I think it's really interesting that Matthew, in his, he goes through the prophecy and he says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That, that he knew that people were lost in his day. That there were people who were following after other religions. There were people who were trying to, um, to work their way to God. And he said, no, 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 you are lost. What you need to do is you need to repent. You need to change the way you're going. And you need to become a part of what I'm doing in the kingdom of God. To those who are lost, the light gives direction. And that's what Jesus did. He came to give people direction. Come follow me. Come follow me on the light. So light gives direction to those who are lost. Light also gives comfort to those who are in despair. You know, maybe when you were growing up as a kid, I... And, Despair is kind of a harsh word here for this, but, but if, when, your kid, when your parents put you to sleep at night, I don't know if we're, I like to have some light in my room. There was just something that would keep those monsters that were under my bed away, or that kind of something in the closet I'm kind of scared of. But man, it was good to have some light on in my room. And, and today, right, it, when, we're, when you're caught in despair or, or a depression, or whatever we might find ourselves caught in, to have some light is a good thing. 
to have some light is a good thing. We even have a phrase for it, right? That we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. That as long as I can see that light, as long as I can see that there's something I'm moving forward to, I can have some hope. And so the light, Jesus, comes. And, and time and time again, Jesus brings this comfort to those who are in despair, whether it was a leper or a widow who's just lost his son or a blind man. The time and time again, Jesus brings, brings this comfort and this hope to those who are in despair. And so the question for us today is, is where do you need this light? Is there a place in your life where it feels dark? Is there a place where it's almost to the point of despair and you just need to know that Jesus has come into the world to give you light at this moment? So he comes to give direction. He comes to give us comfort. And then the light gives understanding to those who are experiencing confusion. It's similar to being lost, but it has more to do with, I just don't understand, Lord, what you're doing here. Uh, we have to realize that Jesus, and, and we have to believe this, that Jesus is the smartest person who ever lived. That he understood more about life than anybody else. And if there are questions in your mind about what you should do or what way to go, that Jesus has those answers. I mean, it started out when he was 12 years old. Remember, right? He's 12 years old. He's sitting in the temple. All the religious leaders are amazed at how wise he is at 12. All of his teaching talked to how we then should live this life. And so if you're wondering and if you're confused about life, the light of the world gives understanding that this is how life is best lived. Psalm 119 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Again, if I don't understand or if I'm lost, that this light, that Jesus comes in and he gives that to us. And then the fourth thing is this. And this is the one we don't like to really think about. But for those who are caught in sin... Light gives conviction. The light of the world gives conviction. I kind of picture this as um, that God comes into my life and there's like a, a spotlight that's going around and kind of looking at each different part and looking at that and looking at that and he sees it all. And my first thought is to be ashamed of that. But then I realize that this is the light of the world. This is the light that brings comfort. This is the light that brings uh, understanding and direction. And yes, this is the light that also brings conviction. Jesus talked about it this way in John chapter 3. It's, it's right after the really famous part where he says that, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And then Jesus says this. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Right? This, Jesus even knew this, right? People love darkness. They don't like the light. And yet the light of the world brings conviction into our lives. Um, when I became a Christian in high school, uh, the Young Life leaders that I knew gave me a little booklet, and I still have it somewhere. i got to find it. 
It's called My Heart, Christ's Home. Anybody ever read this little booklet? A few of you. Oh, gosh, only two? Three. Okay, we're buying it for everybody, okay? It's my Christmas present to you, all right. So here's what it is. It's, it's, this, it's this written by Bob Munger, and, and what it says is it says that when you come to become a Christian, it's as if Christ comes to live in your heart. And then the little booklet walks through all the different parts of a house that you might allow Jesus to come into. So he comes into the kitchen. What are you feeding yourself with? He comes into the living room, comes into the, like a playroom, all these different parts of, of your life. And then the last one, Jesus is walking down the hall and goes, there's something that stinks in the hall closet. I think we should open that up. And the guy's like, oh, no, 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 you don't want to go in there. Now, let's just keep that closed. Well, no, I think we really need to open it up and see what's in there. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> you don't need to open that up. Because that's where the conviction comes, and that's just the junk and the stuff. And, and yet Jesus says, I want to be a part of every part of your life. Even the hall closet. And that's what the light of Christ can do when it shines into our lives and says, yes, that's not right. You don't want to live that way. Be convicted, but no, I deeply, deeply love you and desire to help you change. So here's, here's the truth I hope to leave us with today when we talk about Jesus being the light, that Jesus is a beacon of hope. A beacon of hope. In all these areas. If you're feeling lost, he can help you find the way. If you're uh, in despair, he can help bring comfort. If you're confused, he can bring understanding. And if you're stuck in sin, he can bring conviction. And that is the greatest hope. Because then he can bring healing into that part of your life. That he is a beacon of hope the light that has come into darkness. So as I was thinking about this, these images of light and darkness and lost and hope and all that, I was reminded of um, a little over nine years ago, you might remember this, that there were a group of miners in Chile who were stuck in an underground as their, as their mine collapsed on them. Um, it happened on, uh, on August 5th, 2010. There was a collapse of the main ramp of the San Jose mine, and 33 miners were trapped underground. And they were trapped underground, uh, 2,300 feet underground, and, and uh, emergency officials, on, all, all communication was lost, all light, all electricity was lost, and they went into this room that was called the, uh, the refuge. It was a classroom-sized room, and all 33 of them were in this room. And there was enough supplies, emergency supplies and food and, and some milk in there for two days. And so they start kind of just giving it out a little bit because they didn't know how long they were going to be in there. And the only light they had was the light from their helmets. And as the batteries would wear down, that light would grow dimmer and dimmer over time. But they survived on two cookies and a spoonful of tuna a day. And they drank water that had been drained from the industrial waste containers in the mine. And so all 33 of them are stuck in this refuge, this classroom area. 
And outside, they started to do the kind of the rescue effort. And, and the family and friends came and they set up what was called a Campo Esperanza, which means Camp of Hope. And people were praying for these 33 miners, right? And they would be down there and they'd hear them drilling down to them. And then all of a sudden, the drilling would stop, and they're like, well, they didn't get to us. And they didn't know that there had been another collapse, and they needed to stop drilling. And finally, they keep drilling, drilling, drilling down. And 17 days later, a drill broke through into their room. They survived for 17 days, basically in the dark. They wrote a little note, and they put it on the drill that said, um, we are all safe, all 33 are in the refuge. And it came back up. And um, I can only imagine what it's like to be stuck in darkness, to be stuck in this area, and to have the drill break through, and you feel the rush of clean air coming in, and the hope that's there. Now, the wild thing is that they had to stay in there for 52 more days while they strengthened and refortified the area and all that. And then they started bringing them up one by one. I think we have pictures of that. They created this little pod that went down. And so on, um, on October 13th, the first miner was brought up to the surface in a rescue pod. And then over the next 22 hours, all 33 miners were saved. And you can only imagine the incredible joy they would have once they get to the gra- uh, up to the ground level. Then they see their families and they experience this. But here's what I want you to think about Advent. Advent is the beginning of the greatest rescue mission of all time for you and I. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Colossians chapter 1, 13. He said, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This ultimately is what Christmas is all about. That we have been saved from the dominion of darkness and brought into his beautiful light. John's uh, narrative of Christ's birth of Christmas is a little different than, than Matthew or Luke's. Matthew and Luke's are where we get all of the angels and the shepherds and the wise men and the manger and all that. Mark doesn't even care about the birth. He just starts with the ministry. And John's understanding and writing about the birth is really different. But here's how John writes about it in his first chapter of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
That's the way John describes the birth of Jesus. That is the word who's come into the world. It's the life and the light that has come into the world that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Eugene Peterson translates John 1.5 this way. The life light blazed out of the darkness and the darkness couldn't put it out. That Jesus is this life light this one that brings life into places where there's death, this one who brings hope where there's despair, this life light that, that 2,000 years ago people were drawn to this light of Christ. It's a light that gives direction, that gives comfort, that gives understanding, that gives conviction. And so the question for us today as we start Advent is this. Do you have room in your heart for Jesus today? Do you have room for this light? Will you make room for this light? Will you take time in this season to just sit and ask Jesus to make himself known to you? Will you make time in this time to sit and say, Jesus, show your light to me where I need it. Show me where I'm lost. Show me where I'm, I need to be convicted. Show me where I'm in a little bit of despair right now. Will you please show yourself as the light of Christ that I so need? So we're going to um, start Advent by taking communion together. And communion is a really beautiful reminder <laughs> that, that Jesus is the life light that it's in Christ that we have life. And we will be reminded that it's because of his death on the cross that we can experience his grace. But the other thing I'd like you to do when we take communion today is this. You know, um, the way communion started, it was just a, Jesus having a meal with his disciples. And at the end of the meal, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you, take and eat. And then he poured the juice or the wine and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant of my blood which is shed for you, take and drink. But it was just an ordinary meal. And so as you take communion today, I'd like you to imagine yourself just sitting down with Jesus and having a meal with him. What would that be like to sit around a table with friends and have a meal with Jesus? And again, where would he shine his light in your life today? Do you need some hope and comfort? Do you need conviction? Do you need direction? What would that look like to allow the light of the world to speak into your life today. So let me pray for us, and the elders that are going to help serve communion can meet me over there today. So, so Lord Jesus, we pray that you, as the light of the world, would shine your light in us. We thank you for this Advent season and pray that we would um, experience you that we would experience the, the light life of Christ. Remind us, Lord, that you come as the light of the world. 
is you come as one who wants to lead us into life. You come as one who wants to help us to leave behind the sin that so easily entangles us. And remind us, Lord, that you died for us because you love us so, so much. And it is in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.